Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Bills Mafia. Round two is in the books. Uh, uh, interesting Friday. Um, for as much talk as we had about going into this draft, about uh, trading up, trading down in the first round, potential moves in the second round, three picks have been made. No trades have been made. And the Bills sit here now with two edge rushers and a new swing tackle. We're going to get into all sorts of uh, breakdown of, of all of this. I already see some actions in the comments. This is the Buffalo Bills football podcast uh, draft edition. These weekend draft shows, it's come, it's our second year doing these, Ryan. And, mm-hmm. and I think they're always fun, you know, reacting to seeing all the reactions on social media, writing up some stories and getting on here and diving into the picks. And listen, there, this is, you know, today more than even yesterday. I, th- I thought that there was like a, you know, a half and half reaction to the Gregory Rousseau trade. This or the draft pick, what happened today uh, a defensive end and an offensive tackle. I think this has been a very interesting day worth of reactions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I noticed in the comments here, it says no, there's no CB, no CB. The bills did add a CB Carlos Basham. Come on CB. We, we got one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, you know, listen, I, I get it. I, I love the passion. I love the fact that the fans are so upset right now because they, they look at cornerback as a need here, but they do have Levi Wallace. They do have Dane Jackson. Let, let me read some names off for you, Matt. These are still free agents, according to SpotTrack.com. Uh, some older than others, Casey Hayward, Richard Sherman, obviously, that uh, could come in here. You have Steven Nelson. I'm um, just kind of going down the list. You could bring back Josh Norman, Buster Scry- uh, Screen, I should say, Brian Poole, Bashad Breland, uh, and, and there's more. There's a lot more. There's a long list of available cornerbacks still out there on the market. I think I don't know if I said DJ Hayden, but DJ Hayden's out there as well. So there's options inside, outside. There are there's still day three of the draft, and I get it. Uh, some Bills fans are sitting there saying you're not going to find a starter on day three of the draft. But well, the Bills added Dane Jackson last year in round seven, and he flashed in those limited opportunities. 
So who's to say that they can't find someone in round five that can't come in, make the most of that opportunity? Levi Wallace, undrafted free agent. The Bills are kind of good at finding these guys that fit their system late in the draft. So relax, have some patience, and know that there's also talent available in free agency. Let's get into, you know, I want to, before we get into these two picks and break them down a little bit, I do want to talk about the strategy because it's something that uh, Brandon Bean got into here a little bit. And, you know, first and foremost, I thought from his press conference uh, about an hour ago, some an interesting detail came out. I asked them like, you know, how much they were tracking Carlos Basham because he did make it clear when he started talking, he was sticking out on their board and he said they were following it. And, and uh, throughout the course of the second round and as their pick got closer, you know, they started to take calls about a trade and they actually uh, struck a deal with an NFC team uh, to move out of the second round and, and into the third round, add another pick. Uh, actually, I think he said picks. So I, we didn't get the details of what that actually, like what the parameters of the the deal were. But it was the deal was made. I think they agreed upon it three picks before they were going to pick. And but he gave them a caveat: if our guy is on the board here, we're going to stay in this spot and we're going to take him. That guy was uh, Boogie Basham. Now he also mentioned that. Um, let me see here. I want to get the list of actual draft picks here because I want to go through a couple of them. He said both day one and day two, the reason why they didn't take a cornerback, it didn't had it had nothing to do with the roster. And I think that this goes back to what we've been talking about in terms of their approach to the draft on day one and day two. We've said this a, a million times at this point, Ryan. You know, I don't think it's lip service that they're saying we're following our draft board. So if a cornerback is sticking out or as close as it's in a, it's in a bucket of players and, and there's a boogie Basham and an iffy Melifonwu and um, uh, you know, who are a trail Williams for, you know, whoever you want to throw in the mix there and a Sean Wade say they're all in that bucket together. The, the grades are, aren't very much of, of a difference. Then I think you start to entertain, you know, the differences um, and, and what you maybe need a little bit more because the grades are so similar. But in the case of the second round pick, when they pulled the trigger on Boogie Basham, he was so far and away um, the highest graded guy on their board. Listen, you know, um, Jeff Legwold uh, Leggold from ESPN, he puts out his top 100 every year. And I was looking through his, his list. He had Boogie Basham ranked at number 32. So just thinking about that, it's one evaluator. So, you know, you, you take, you, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But if the Bills had a, 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 a an end of the first round grade, early second round grade on Basham, the value there of the position too, when you bake that in, it's super important. He said what happened was both times that they were going to pick in the first round and the second round, a couple cornerbacks went before they took the pick uh, or corners that they had a, a high grade, grade on. Um, now I'm looking through here. Asante Samuel Jr. went at 47. Uh, I, I'm sure that they probably would have considered that uh, late in the round. And then no DBs really went, but more so in the first round when you had Greg Newsom and Eric Stokes go right before they picked. So the opportunity, I, what I'm getting at here, the opportunity just wasn't there to take a cornerback yet on day one or day two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you summed it up really well. Going back to that trade talk. Uh, the one thing he did say is it would have that they would have moved back to the third round. Uh, you almost have to wonder if it would have also given them a fourth round maybe this year because they were missing that fourth round pick and maybe that was intriguing. Uh, but like you said, they told the team there was one player they didn't want to move out of that pick for and it ended up being Carlos Basham Jr. We've seen this take place before in the NFL. 
Uh, go back to the 2018 draft. The Bills had a deal in place with the Denver Broncos to move up to get Josh Allen. And the, the Broncos said, yeah, they, they had the parameters worked out. They said, yeah, we'll, we'll make that trade as long as one player is not there on the board for us. And sure enough, when that trade came, or uh, that trade got squashed because it was Bradley Chubb that they wanted. So this does happen all the time, uh, more often than you think, where you have a trade worked out with another team. And then that one player that is on the board that you don't want to part ways with is still there. So, you know, they're doing their jobs. Uh, the one thing I'll say is that's interesting is someone from the draft network after the Carlos Bastion pick said that the Bills drafted the better edge rusher in round two than round one. Now, mind you, you know, that's that's unfair. We heard that last year, too, with Gabriel Davis uh, and Isaiah Hodgins about flipping those two guys around. We obviously saw that Gabriel Davis was an absolute star. We don't know which edge rusher is going to be better in the NFL coming out of the gate. Uh, but it's interesting that some did have it graded that way, nonetheless. Um, sorry about that. I was gone for a minute. I had to track down my Monster Energy drink because still got some uh, hours to go here. And uh, yeah, Elliot, what's funny about that? He says, "Matt, you're going to be up all night. I will. I could drink this whole thing right now on this show, and we can sign off, and I could put my head on a pillow, and it's game over. It doesn't matter." Um, so. Yes, uh, I, I'm very interested to see what these two players look like in camp, and I think that's a good transition and, and what what kind of guy impacts, makes a bigger impact in 2021. But let's transition into what this defensive line looks like now because the Bills pulled the trigger on that on that, on that that draft pick, bring in Boogie Basham from, from Wake Forest. The production was pretty solid, had five sacks in seven games, uh, double-digit sacks the year before in a full season. And I think that it's an intriguing piece. Both of these guys, Gregory Rousseau and Basham, in different ways project as versatile pieces that you can kind of move around the defensive line quite a bit. And that gives them options. And I think that's what they I, I think what they learned last year, and we'll see if they address the you know one tech spot. I know they got star coming back, but I really do want to see them add another one, maybe two. Uh, you know, true one tech space eating defensive tackles. We'll see if they do that. But, you know, having these two uh, guys now is, is that you can figure out what they do well over time. And there's no rush because of the situation they're walking into to get them ready to play right away. You have Mario Addison, you have Jerry Hughes and AJ Apanasa, who's expected to, to take a jump. And you can kind of cushion things with Mario Addison. You don't have to move on from Mario Addison right now. You don't even have to move, move on from Mario Addison by the time the training camp starts, you know, you want those battles. You you can make that decision when you get closer to the season. If, if you have four or five edge rushers that are ready to go and part of that group is not Mario Addison, then you make that decision. Then you move on. But as it stands right now, there is healthy competition that's now been added. And, and you also have a chance to embrace that growth mindset that Sean McDermott talks about. Come here, be the best version of yourself. Learn it from the guys that they want setting the example um, and, and go from there. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Mario Addison, I know like right after that, the Carlos Bastion pick a lot was out there in terms of the post June 1st designation, how much money the bills could save uh, kind of saying goodbye to him before any of this has happened. And that may end up being the case. Absolutely. But like you just said, let the competition happen. You don't know what's going to happen from now until, uh, you know, June either or July injury-wise play uh, in terms of how ready these players are. 
Buffalo's defensive end room is all of a sudden very packed because in addition to Jerry Hughes, in addition to Mario Addison, you now add Carlos Basham Jr. You you have A.J. Epineza. You have Rousseau. You have Daryl Johnson, F.A. Obata. Uh, some of these other guys that were on the practice squad last year, Cox Jr., et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So some talented players are going to go between now and the start of the regular season. There's no doubting that. But it would be foolish just to make a move now just for the sake of making a move. Let it play out like you said. The one thing I do like, though, is the versatility of these players. You mentioned it. You know, Russo is a mountain of a man. Uh, there were some – Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports – uh, mentioned he would love to see him get actually balloon closer to what uh, Calais Campbell plays at, which is about 300 pounds. I don't think we're going to see that. I think you're going to see him in that 260, 270 range. Uh, but but big, lengthy, the huge wingspan. Uh, you have Basham Jr. that can play three technique. He can play on the outside. So when you get to those third down passing situations in the next few years, and it's an obvious passing situation, you could have a really interesting looking defensive line where you're pinning the ears back on some of these players and how you're lining them up. Uh, so I, I like what they're doing. I get what they're doing. They're staying true to their board. And the more talent you obviously acquire early in the drafts, you're hoping that one or two of them can pan out. And then you're going to be set again, five, six, seven years. If you hit on the right players. So I want to bring up uh, Chris Trapasso, who I'm, I'm so excited to get him back on the show after all this is wrapped up and we can really break down all of these picks um, from a draft expert perspective. But I was actually looking at uh, one of the stories that he wrote uh, after the Senior Bowl, and he and he wrote up a couple of the guys that really improved their stock. And, and just check this out. This is what he wrote about Basham, who really shined that week. Much has been made about his athleticism and size blend, and it allowed him to dominate the week of practices in the trenches at the Senior Bowl. While he didn't play in the game, he made his mark on coaches and scouting departments when most are in attendance leading into the game with an array of power and quickness regardless of where he was lined up and which type, type of blocker he faced. Basham projects as the trendy defensive end on early downs and nickel rusher in clear-cut passing situations. He probably was a first-round prospect before the Senior Bowl, now you can lock him in there and he can go mm. top 20. Now, that didn't happen, obviously. Uh, I got to look at his pro day numbers and maybe that that's where maybe his – go ahead. 4.62, I think he – I believe he ran at two, wow. at two at 2.72. Wow. That, that's – yeah, and he had a really good vertical, some like 38-inch – because I wrote – this was in my story. 38-inch vertical, um, he, he popped in terms of his pro day, so – for whatever reason, he didn't go in the first round, but it wasn't his pro day. He, he leapt off the page there, too. Um, yeah, because he's explosive for his size. And, and that's something that when I when I was doing the research, I said, man, this guy, if he can put it all together, could be a very scary defensive lineman. And, and the Bills could be putting something together now uh, where a lot of fans are sitting back now saying they didn't go after a cornerback. They didn't do this. If the Bills are absolute nightmares for opposing quarterbacks in terms of pressure, in terms of hits, in terms of sacks, that's going to make the secondary that much better. That's going to make the linebacker play that much better. That's going to help Buffalo eventually maybe defeat the Kansas City Chiefs and some of these other teams that are going to be contending in the AFC because all of a sudden this is a very 
uh, loaded conference in terms of quarterbacks, in terms of team roster building. Browns are having one heck of a draft. They were obvious. They obviously went pretty late uh, this past season in the playoffs. They, they made it all the way to the Chiefs and, and they fought them tooth and nail down to the wire. So it, it's not going to get any easier for the Bills, but they found a weakness on this team and they're trying to address it as best they possibly can. Um, is a good question. Cam Greasy over on uh, YouTube. Does a cornerback or a defensive end beat the Chiefs? I say a pass rusher. And I got to say, I, I agree with that logic. Now, listen, you can add all the pass rushers in the world. And if, if Patrick, Holmes has a, Patrick Mahomes has a game and, you know, they've rebuilt their offensive line now and that and that tends to hold up in a game, say, it's going to be tough to beat them. But you're going to have to play better across the board. But I think what this does, adding two potential pass rushers that can – you know, add a, a different level of play. Like, like all the projections are out there. You put up a story that, you know, maybe a, a Chandler Jones type ceiling for Gregory Rousseau, which would be the grand slam that everybody's, you know, hoping and praying for in inside the building there. Um, you know, I, I think I saw Marlon Davidson as the comp uh, for Boogie Basham um, uh, from Lance Zierlein at, at NFL.com. There's all these fun little projections to make. And, you know, we'll see. I, I even think somebody said, you know, um, I can't remember a JPP for Gregory Rousseau, possibly. And we saw how effective he was in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. So, the thing that about a pass rush is it's not only about what you do, you know, in terms of bringing the quarterback down, it's affecting him. What Brandon Bean talked about, because that's what helps to create turnovers. When you don't get pressure in a game of that magnitude, as good as their secondary is, you have Tredavious White out there, you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Taron Johnson, who had that big pick six against the Baltimore Ravens. Even that's not good enough, and I know you want to add more players, but when you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, so now if you ratchet up that pressure, maybe it doesn't necessarily equal more sacks or or tons of more sacks, but just that pressure alone and consistent pressure and you know, not as many gaps in when you're applying that pressure keeps the pressure on Mahomes enough to maybe force some turnovers in that game. Yeah, only only one drive stalled out for the Chiefs in that championship game, and that was where Mahomes threw a 30-yard, maybe 40-yard bomb down the field to Tyreek Hill that hit him on the hands, and he dropped it. Uh, that's the only drive that stalled out that entire game because Buffalo could not get after him. They sacked him, I believe, once in that game, but for the most part, he was sitting back there in the pocket. He was just waiting for Tyreek Hill to get open, just waiting for Travis Kelsey to get open. So... Maybe these guys don't bring him down, but someone like Rousseau that has an 83-inch wingspan can get his hand on a ball, can bat it up into the air, can take away a passing lane. Maybe uh, a Carlos Basham Jr. can crash the pocket on the interior uh, or at Oliver, and you still have Jerry Hughes. You've added talent to the front, the area that could not do anything in that championship game. You and Ryan, have it. funny thing about this too, I want you to continue on this yeah. thing. I feel like there's been this, and I don't know if this is your um, observation on this as well. There's been this like <laughs> three or you know 180 in the last 24 hours from uh, for weeks and months a group of fans that wanted edge rusher, edge rusher, usher, mm. get me that edge rusher. Brandon Bean gets him too. And the, I feel like there's some of those people that are, that aren't, aren't thrilled about it. So I guess you can't win. No, I, I think what the fans were thinking of, and I get it because the Carlos Bastion pick threw me for a loop. I was not expecting another edge. Rusher. I think that's what happened. They, they add one in round one, 
So now Bills fans are sitting there saying, okay, well, it's going to be a cornerback or it's going to be a wide receiver, maybe a running back in play. One of those other picks, but good teams do this. They double down on a position. They, they add talent in, in certain areas. Uh, and the Bills had the opportunity to do so. And, and where I was going with this is Eric Washington, defensive line coach for the Bills, former defensive coordinator and defensive line coach in Carolina. One thing his teams have always done is sack the quarterback well. Now, last year didn't really happen in his first year with the Bills, but you, you almost have to give him a, a uh, put a little asterisk next to that because there was no training in the offseason. There, there were no OTAs. There was no mini camp. There was no preseason. Uh, and yeah, there were a lot of former Panthers on this team, but still there's something completely different about working with a whole new unit overall than with a team, you know, with a team that you had been with for many, many years. So he's going to have these young kids in there. He's going to have some of these players entering year two in the system. He's also going to have some of those players that are actually entering year five, year six, year seven. Mario Addison, the Vernon Butlers of the world, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Brian Cox Jr., because he's he was in Carolina for quite a few years. That's going to be a good mesh in terms of talent that's been with him for a long time, talent that's only been with him for one year, and now new talent. But he gets a he gets the best out of these players, and I think you are really going to see a drastic spike in sack totals in 2021. Indeed. Um, if you have any questions, if there's anything that you want us to cover here uh, before we get out, we're going to talk about uh, the Bills' third-round selection as well and maybe look ahead to tomorrow when they uh, have two-fifths a sixth and a seven. So it'll be a little bit of a wait at the start uh, uh, of things tomorrow, unless Brandon Bean's able to move back into the fourth round. I, I am pretty um, surprised that they didn't make a deal. I almost feel like Brandon for Brandon Bean not to make a deal in, in, in a draft would be a, a story in and of itself. Um, but I think that, you know, when, when the rosters is, is, is built as it is and set up for success, you don't have to chase anything. You can kind of let things play out and be a little bit more patient. And that's what we've actually seen in this draft is a patient Brandon Bean who's let the kind of draft come to him a little bit, especially in a year where I don't think you want to overreact or or be a little bit hasty and and, and get um, you know neurotic, for lack of a better term, in how you approach you know your pick because. This is a draft where you can you can sense the uncertainty across the league in, in terms of this, uh, you know, where players are going, um, the information that they have on a player. I mean, just for instance, you know, the the, the Spencer Brown, who uh, I should give myself a pat on the back. First time, I think, doing mock drafts um, where I hit the player, the pick, and the round. So I had him going to the Bills at 93. And uh, he uh, opt or he didn't opt out. They they postponed the season, never got it going, but they, they pushed it off to the sp spring uh, when they got things going in the spring. Northern Northern Iowa, uh, he had already started training for the NFL draft, so he didn't go back to play. He had options to maybe transfer. He decided not to because you know he 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 wanted to. If his teammates couldn't play, he wasn't going to play, and so he worked with Joe Staley out in California. Started, uh, you know, continuing to work on his body. I mean, this is an athletic freak. Hmm. Six eight, three hundred and eleven pounds. He was telling us on the on the on the Zoom call that he can bench. His max was five hundred on the bench, six hundred on the squat. He's just like a marvel of a human being. And I absolutely love this pick. I love the pick when I did it in the mock. Where you got him, the value, 
I think that this guy's got a second uh, round grade in a lot of people's books. He's a little bit raw. He played at a lower level, but the intangibles, the measurables, we talk about this over and over again. This is what this regime wants. This is what they covet. They want guys that have the size and 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 a lot of the um, intangibles, like the work ethic, the the love of the game, the love to to compete. You've heard that in all three of these guys already. And then you can get him in your program. And then you can kind of build them the way that you want. But I think he slots in as the swing tackle to start. He play left or right, Brandon Bean said tonight. And then you just kind of see what happens. Everybody kind of, I, I saw, or not everybody, a couple people uh, tweeted, well, they just signed everybody back and they just signed the, the two tackles back. Well, check out Daryl Williams' deal. I mean, they can get out of that if they really wanted to after one year. So essentially it's a three-year deal with an out after one. And if, Spencer Brown comes in here and is absolutely lights out in, in preseason, then get, ends up coming in for an injured uh, starter and, and shines, you know, you got to pay Josh Allen a lot of money coming up. Tremaine Edmonds, potentially a lot of money coming up. And so if you can save some money by moving some things around a little bit, do some housekeeping with some of these, these draft picks, you know, Jerry Hughes's contracts coming up. Do you want to re up him at 34 years old? Well, now you got Gregory Rousseau and, and Carlos Basham. He could start to develop and hopefully make that decision easier if you want to go a different direction. Yeah, this is my favorite pick of the draft so far. And I know third round, um, just an athletic freak. You said it. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Math Bomb on Twitter is his user handle. He he tracks something called relative athletic scores from 1987 to 2021. No offensive tackle has graded higher than Spencer Brown. He literally had a perfect 10 out of 10 score on this uh this this different grading chart. So no offensive tackle has ever graded better than Spencer Brown. So that gives you some promise. You mentioned the 500-pound bench. Uh, I put a I put a video of that in the Five Things to Know article on our site. Check it out. You know it's impressive that uh, this guy that said he was pretty pretty tall, skinny, and wiry growing up has developed into that frame. I saw a comment in the chat saying, "Do you think he's underweight for his size? He's about you know yeah they, he's what 314, 315. I think that's more than okay right now. Uh, but interestingly he, enough. They, if you read his scouting report, he's put about 100 pounds on over the course of his college career. Right. Evaluators think there's still room to to build his – he's still developing into his body. So yeah. who knows? That could that could look like 330 in two years. Exactly, and that's where I was going with that because as a rookie, he's going to come in, and, and I'm sure that Joe Staley has taught him a lot already because Joe Staley is six-time Pro Bowler, uh, three-time All-Pro, awesome player in his day has probably already taught him quite a bit about what to expect in the NFL. But when he has a full year of being in a program with an NFL team in terms of the eating habits, in terms of working out, he's going to add on to that frame, muscle, some extra weight. So, But coming in at 314, I don't think that's a problem whatsoever. I think, like you said, though, you can get him up to 330, 335, 340. No questions asked, no problem. Um, so yeah, there's still room to grow, but I like where he's coming in at you. We are one injury away before this pick from Bobby Hart coming in and starting for the bills for Daryl Williams, uh, or for Deion Dawkins if something happened. And I'm not trying to knock any players on the bills roster, but there were literally, and I'm not joking. You can go on Twitter and look, there were Bengals fans who openly celebrated the fact that the Bengals finally did not bring back Bobby Hart. 
They said this, you know, and, and he was more so a starter there, but it was an issue to have him there. It wasn't good for, for a young quarterback. So bring someone in in round three that could year one, day one, be your swing tackle and maybe eventually replace Daryl Williams. I would say three years from now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be pushing Daryl Williams out of the door as long as he's still playing at a high level because tackle is one of those premium positions. It's so important. Uh, he's played well for this regime. I think that they were able to get him at that discount the year before that because he was all over the line in Carolina. I still think if they would have kept him at one spot, he would have fared very well there too. So the talent's still there. Let him learn from these two offensive tackles, and then when the time is right, three years from now, then maybe he becomes the eventual starting right tackle. Question in the in the chat here, um, asking about how much uh, the Chiefs have improved. Are you worried about the Chiefs' O line getting Creed Humphrey? A couple picks after the Bills took uh, Basham. Uh, Bills are getting edge, but Chiefs are shoring up the line, and I think that that's a great observation. I mean, if you look at their depth chart right now. Orlando Brown, Joe mm -hmm. Tooney, uh, potentially Creed Humphrey, if he could beat out Austin Blythe at center. Um, Lauren uh, Duvernay-Tardif, uh, Mike Remmers, and they also have Louis, Lucas Nyang, who um, they really like a lot. They also signed Kyle Long to just see what's left in the tank there. They got really deep really quickly with a lot of questions going into the offseason, so I think that's a great point. And listen – how many times are you gonna are you really gonna get into a battle with a, with a Patrick Mahomes driven team with an offensive line like they had in the Super Bowl? That was just you know the 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 scenario that played out last year. You got to go into a year knowing that you know they're gonna sure up what they need to do. Just like the Bills, I, I I think in a lot of ways the Spencer Brown pick is you know it's it's not only made for right now to you know to have a swing tackle, but in two three years we you want to keep improving that line, and if you can get a upgrade over you know either of the guys that are there right now i think Deion dawkins is a top six seven left tackle in the league daryl williams played like one last year but you know you want to get younger you want to get cheaper you want to get um you want to be ahead of the curve and i think that's one of the things that brandon bean's done so well he he does a good job of keeping the roster in a um you know current events type of mindset but also with an eye on the future and one of the big things here is I don't think we're talking enough about how much, even with the um, ballooned cap, the potential for the lack of salary cap dollars when you're looking down the line two, three years, when you have to start handing out these big contracts, you need some of these kinds of contracts. You're going to see, I think you're going to see contracts all over the place. I mean, you know, if, if Dawson Knox has like a, a good solid year this year, like, right. Like let's say he puts up a Jared cook, like year eight touchdowns, um, uh, you know, 800 yards, something like that. Right. And, you know, so that's year three. And then he comes back and replicates that in year four. He's going to be expensive. Like he's not going to be crazy expensive, but he's going to be, you're going to have to give him a pretty good deal. You're gonna have to give him, you know, probably a little bit under what John Smith got, like probably what nine, 10 million a year. That's a big contract to hand out. So I wouldn't even be surprised. I mean, you were talking about it earlier today, maybe Pat Fryermuth. Uh, was a guy that they could target in in the on day two, but you know I could see them looking to draft a, a tight end round one, round two in the next in the next year's draft to to prepare for those kinds of scenarios to play out as they move along year to year in this build. Well, yeah. it's built now. Yeah, you know you you always have to be thinking long term. Uh, going back to the fan question there about the Chiefs, they did a great job this year in terms of upgrading the offensive line. 
One thing I'll say is that trade for Orlando Brown could end up being a disaster if they don't extend him. I know a lot of fans assume that's on the table. It's going to happen. But until it does, they, they traded away some valuable assets for a one-year rental who, if he plays really well over the course of this season, he's going to want big money. And I know the salary cap can be manipulated. We've seen teams do it time and time again. Uh, but it feels like the Chiefs are getting to that point where they have so many big salaries on their roster that can they afford to pay a left tackle uh, $20 million a year, whatever the case may be in terms of what Orlando Brown is looking for. Creed Humphrey, I liked Creed Humphrey. We were talking about it at uh, second-round pick that maybe the Bills would be leaning that way, and then he fell and he slipped. There must be something that led to that slip, that led to that fall to a certain extent. So... Uh, I still think that's a solid pick for the Chiefs. Don't get me wrong there. Uh, so they they definitely improved in the short term. Uh, we'll we'll see what it leads to. But just like any other position, offensive offensive tackle, offensive line, defensive line. If the Bills and the Chiefs face off uh, this upcoming season, the AFC Championship again, you can't predict injuries. But both teams will be banged up at that point in the year. So these pass rushers having so much depth here could lead to the Bills getting pressure on Mahomes. The upgrades that the Chiefs made could lead to them not only shutting down the Bills again, but then getting to the Super Bowl and facing a team like Tampa Bay again and not being phased by the pressure. So, yeah, you just never know year by year what's going to happen. But kudos to them for upgrading their offensive line and kudos to the Bills for addressing a need that was certainly pressing on the defensive line. Uh, Mitchell asks about the other AFC East team drafts, and I like to get into that a little bit mm. today. We can review uh, all three of those teams because they've all gotten better. I mean, Brandon said it yesterday, and um, you know, when you when two teams draft a quarterback in the first round in your division, it, it opens your eyes, and you know, it, it's not surprisingly that he followed suit by drafting two edge rushers uh, in the same draft. So that's interesting enough. But I also want to say just a little, like um, you know, bullet point here for for fans: pay attention. If you can, when 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 these when Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott are talking about the way that they they do things here, you know what I mean. The way they set up, um, you know, their draft boards, the way that they um, evaluate players, and also, you know, how they view their team. And I think that in a lot of ways, we forget like what they're good at and what they've kind of shown in terms of their their trends over the last couple of years. They haven't, we talked about it going in this draft. They haven't drafted a cornerback on day one or day two since Tredavious white. And that's kind of the model that's worked for them. And I think that that's kind of always in their back pocket when they go into these drafts, it's like, okay, if we feel like the value is there and we can get a really good corner, fine. If not, we have our, the faith that we can find a corner on day four, day three. And I'd imagine that another corner is coming uh, tomorrow and we can develop them. And if not, we have Levi Wallace, who we think we think we can rely on. We can go back out and get a Josh Norman if we have to. I mean, if he's going to come back and play one more year, I think that, that they'd be fine with that that trio to compete for that cornerback two job. And then in the slot, they really like Cam Lewis. And honestly, I'd like to see Cam Lewis on the outside in the preseason again. He was having a really good preseason on the outside uh, two years ago before he got hurt. I think he got the concussion in the Carolina game um, in that preseason game. Um, let's get into the AFC East before we get out of here, and then we'll we'll quickly sprinkle a couple uh, potential options for day three. Um, we talked about the, the what the, what everybody did yesterday, and then today 
the Jets come out firing once again after taking uh, Zach Wilson yesterday, trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker. They go out and they get uh, Elijah Moore, uh, wide receiver from huh. Ole Miss. And, you know, that's a really important pick for the Jets, Ryan, because they go out and they sign Corey Davis. They have uh, Jamison Crowder. They drafted Denzel Mims last year. So they're starting to build, you know, a basketball starting five with their, you know, uh, their skill players. And that is a really nice collection of talent. They all kind of do different things. And all of a sudden, uh, let's see who else the Jets took in this draft. Or they, they, or they traded up, so they didn't have yeah. a third-round pick. So they'll draft, again, the second pick of round four. But I think getting up, getting up and getting Vera Tucker, getting a, a, a solid stout player that you can either place on the interior or put at one of the tackle spots, the tackle spot opposite Mekhi Becton if you want to, you're building around Zach Wilson in a really strong way. Yeah, and it's going to come down to Zach Wilson. If he's the guy, he's going to have no shortage of weapons there uh, at wide receiver now. Like you said, the, that four wide receiver sets legit. We've talked about the tight end position in the past with with guys like you know Chris Herndon and things like that. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, I like him. I don't know if I liked him as much as the Jets based on all those picks that they, they used to move up to get him. But – I do feel like Joe Douglas did a really good job last year drafting. I think he's done a really good job this year drafting. So I feel like they are on the right track in terms of turning things around. Uh, are they going to be a team in contention in the East this year? I still don't see that yet, especially with a rookie quarterback, but they're on the right track. The Dolphins are, are interesting because I feel like they've done some good things. But I also feel like in a way it's been a bad draft for them. And I, and I know that oh. sounds confusing. Mm. They were they were in a position to get one of those playmakers, and they kind of moved around a little bit on the draft board, and they end up going to six. And Jalen Waddell, very good player, and I know that they've already come out and said if Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase were on the board, they still were going to take Jalen Waddell. I don't believe that for one second. I, I'm sorry, I don't. You moved around a little bit too far, and I think they were guessing there'd be one more quarterback taken and one of those premier talents would be available for them. It didn't work out that way. So that kind of uh, was a head-scratcher. There was a lot of talk about the Dolphins addressing the running back position in this year's draft, and in round two, it looked like they were in prime position to get Javante Williams. And what did they do? They let The Broncos leapfrog them, and I have no idea what the Broncos are doing at running back. They are so confusing with that in terms of who they let leave, who they sign, and now who they draft. But they still let a team leapfrog them, and then that leads the Dolphins to kind of scramble and take a safety. And was safety a need? Yes. Uh, but they didn't even take Mo, uh, Morig there. Uh, they, they took – I can't remember who it was now, but it was – Javon Holland. Thank you, Javon Holland, who's a solid player, but on most boards he was not the number one safety. So – they, they upgraded their talent, but I also feel like at the end of the day, they could have done better if they would have been a little bit more aggressive, if they would have stayed put where they were. And I get it. You want more assets in future years. You want more draft picks. When teams come calling with all those picks, it's hard to say no. I just feel like that it's been a little underwhelming for them. Patriots, though, I like what they're doing too. Love the Barmore pick. Uh, here today, so they're they're doing really a lot of really good things. They were really aggressive in free agency, so they're trying to close that gap quickly. So I'll disagree with you a little bit on the Miami front 
Um, I think that, well, I'll agree with you on one piece and I'll disagree on another piece. I think that I think a, a few people are overreacting to Jalen Waddell. I'm not convinced that he's any better than Henry Ruggs. As a matter of fact, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day that said if they were, if they put all the receipt, the top three receivers from last year and the top three th- receivers from this year's draft together, this specific person had Waddle under Henry Ruggs. And so from that perspective, I, I just think we saw last year those those smaller, like toolsy, speedy receivers. I mean, they got to fit the right place, especially early on in their career to be game changers. And I think with Tua at quarterback, there's a lot of questions there. And that's what it all comes back to. I think somebody tweeted it. I think it was John Scott, maybe like you can do all these draft picks that you want and get all these players that you want. But if, if, if Tua is going to be the Tua that was – in 2020, the Miami Dolphins are, are going nowhere quick. Uh, I expect him to be better. How big of a jump he takes in year two, we'll find out. Um, if it's a if it's a Josh Allen, uh, Allen, uh, a Josh Allen esque jump, it like was an Alien esque jump though. The way he, you know, <laughs> it, it works. works. It works. It works. I, it's late. You know, uh, just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. Um, and if there's that kind of jump, I think they could be good. I think they could be you know, uh, a better team, but I still don't think that they're a team you fear in that scenario. You think you need a bigger jump. And I also want to see if things, when things don't go well, what do they do with Tua now? Uh, Do they let him fight through it? What if he fights through it and and, and you learn that he can't fight through it or things go from bad to worse. So there's all these little, you know, as much as that roster has just been built beautifully it, it really doesn't matter. I really like the Liam Eichenberg pick. Uh, I read a lot of things where, you know, he had a, a first round grade on a lot of really uh, plugged in uh, draft experts board. So uh, I thought that was a nice pick. And then they come back and they get a tight end in the third round. We'll see Hunter Long. Uh, he was four or five, depending on who you, you looked at. Uh, so they're just throwing a bunch. They're, they're just gathering talent. They're, they're, they're using all these assets. And um, I think that they're better. And I think they, they have the second best roster in the AFC East. In terms of the Patriots, it's interesting. I think it's going to come down to, to Mac Jones. Um, how good is he going to be? Uh, I think he, I think he probably landed in the best place possible for him to unlock that potential. Other than San Francisco, I think landing with Kyle Shanahan would have been great. But you know, if there are these similarities between him and Brady, I, I really think that. Josh McDaniels could probably tap into that. And if he's as bright and on it as, as you know, people have written about, I think he can transition pretty quickly. I still think Cam goes into the year as a starter, but it's going to be a very short leash leash. If Mac Jones shows anything in the preseason, then yeah, Barrymore was fine. I, I think that they, they just uh, churn out good interior defensive linemen. Usually, mm-hmm. but you know, Bill Belichick finds those guys. And then um, Ronnie Perkins going out and getting an edge rusher. I thought that that was a sneaky need, for I know they brought back Kyle Van Noy uh, and they brought in Matthew Judon, but you know they have Josh Uche who they drafted last year. He didn't really pop, so adding another guy to the mix to the competition there, you know they're get, they're getting pretty deep at a couple different slots. So yeah, I think I, I like a lot of the stuff that we saw in the AFC East. Yeah, the division's getting better. You know the, the Bills won the division for the first time in a long time this year. And no one should have sat there and said, okay, this is going to be the division for the next decade. And those other teams are just going to sit there in mediocrity. It's not going to happen. They're all trying to get better. They're all going after those quarterbacks of the future. Tua last year, Wilson this year, Mac Jones this year. Uh, So they're all going for it. They're all trying to close that gap. Nothing's going to be handed to the Bills this year. But 
they are going to be going against quite a few inexperienced quarterbacks this year based on if a lot of these younger guys play. So I still think the Bills are in good position in 2021. But each passing year, the more these quarterbacks develop, the more these rosters have that, that overturn, and the more talent you add, it's going to get harder and harder for the Bills to replicate the success that they had one year ago. Um, I have to give grades for each draft pick. I, I, I write the five thoughts on a grade for each story. But at the same time, I don't really believe in grading a draft when the draft actually happens. And that's a you know conversation going on in the comments right now. Somebody said, uh, I believe it was Jay Davis on YouTube, C- minus at best for the Bills so far. And I, I think it's really difficult to, to kind of put a letter grade on, on a, a draft, especially with a group of players that are so much projections. And I think like... We throw that word around this time of year, projecting like what guys can be. These these are all projections. Unless you're getting Chase Young or Joey Bosa, you're you're projecting what a guy's going to do at the next level. And so, to grade that, I mean, you're basically placing a grade value on how you think the Bills are going to coach them, what they're going to, how they're going to connect with them behind the scenes, what the personality uh, dynamics are like to to cultivate that development. And those are just things that I just I would never be comfortable you know, emphatically or, uh, you know, saying what's going to happen in that department. So I think the best thing to do is to remember one thing. And I think I saw this, somebody tweet this is Brandon Bean is the reigning defending NFL executive of the year. And I think sometimes, um, Joe Nelson says I'm a cop out because giving a letter grade is the point. I do give the letter grade. And I gave a letter grade. Uh, I gave a letter grade to the to Gregory Rousseau pick yesterday. And guess where you could see that letter grade? Syracuse.com. Read the story, my friend, and you will see the letter grade. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't, I, I don't get, it. I don't get the whole, you know, letter grade grading phenomenon. With it's fun because you can kind of, you know, power rank, you know, how yeah. how teams did. But you know, at the end of the day, until I see them play a, an NFL snap. I'm not going to grade a, a, a college prospect. No, and that's fair. And, you know, the other thing, too, is a lot of these national analysts that do it all the time, not only do they attach a grade to it, they attach some hot takes, and then a, a few years later, they're on those websites for being so wrong about some of these players one way or the other uh, that you're kind of putting yourself in a bad position. So, yeah, you know, for, for the sake of the articles, you, you do give that letter grade. But you really can't look back on a draft class to, until two or three years later because, again, remember the Josh Allen pick. How many people bashed? How many people said that the Bills were setting themselves back uh, a decade? I was looking at some of those tweets again this past week. Uh, someone said how the Bills love mediocrity and someone, you know, uh, he'll be throwing interceptions or incomplete passes in Foxborough for the next decade. Uh, little things like that, and then you look at the development. No one saw that coming. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot. The majority wanted Rosen over Allen, so on and so forth. Everyone thought Darnold was a slam dunk for the Jets. No one knows. You can look at the college game. You can look at the skill sets, but you don't know what, how that's going to transition over to the NFL based on the team, based on the talent, based on the development, based on the chemistry uh, that they have, even within the locker room, within the coaching staff. All these little things factor into building a team up, and Josh Allen has had the perfect storm of player development around him, his own development, the coaching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
it's just one of those wait and see scenarios. Give it time, and then we'll really know here in a few years. See if I can get this to work here. Saw this uh, shared on Twitter, and I thought the the video component of the show, folks would love to see this. Let me see if I can get this. It's playing. Oh, yeah, it is. Look at that. Let me see if I could scroll up a little bit. So it's uh, all right. Here we go. Spencer Brown, your new offensive tackle, swing tackle, 500 pounds on the bench. I mean, just watching this stuff, man, it's it's crazy. I In my prime, I could get maybe 200, 220 up probably one time. Look at this dude. Look at this dude. That's crazy. That's nuts. 500 pounds. I love watching these videos, the post video celebrations. Uh, so a, a cool little, another cool tidbit. If you haven't seen it tweeted or talked about yet, I'll write about this probably at some point tomorrow. Spencer Brown uh, lives in a town of 1300 people in Lenox, Iowa. And he had 40 or 50 people over at his house tonight, hoping that his name would be called in, in at some point on day two. And by the time that his, uh, the, the pick was, was made, 40, 50 people, he said. Five minutes after that, he said he thought, you know, there, there was a couple hundred out on his front lawn. And, you know, they were worried that the whole town was going to show up at the house, I guess. So really cool moment. You can see that video uh, posted on social media as well. All right, final takes here, Ryan. And maybe let's get into, before we get out of here, you know, who you're looking at tomorrow. Now we can dial in on some needs. Um, you know, cornerback. Uh, I know you talked a little bit about tight end and uh, maybe another position, uh, 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 one technique, defensive tackle. What do you see as the, the glaring needs here that you want them to address and who are maybe a player or two that, that, that they can look at? Yeah, I, I don't know about any glaring needs, but they can go – they can address some of these positions that fans have talked about here. Uh, cornerback, you know, whether you're talking outside or inside, there's going to be different options. If the Bills get lucky, maybe a Sean Wade slides all the way to, to round five out of Ohio State. I'm not sure if that's realistic or not, but time will tell. Buffalo did their due diligence on him, met with him a few times during the draft process. Uh, could end up being a really good slot cornerback, which is more important than Bills fans uh, realize, I think, because Taron Johnson's entering the final year of his contract with the Bills. So you want to look for a replacement there, possibly. There are still some big men up front on the defensive line. I know. Haven't we had enough defensive linemen? I'm sorry, Bills Mafia. <laughs> but if you can get a one technique that can be the heir apparent to Star Latulale uh, on, on day three of the draft, by all means, try to upgrade that position. There are still some names out there that were fan favorites in mock drafts. Uh, there's, I, You know, I... I can't say that I was paying perfect attention to all the picks after the Bills and around the Bills picks, uh, but th- there's l- guys like Hamson uh, Nazarildine. Was he taken yet? No, nope. I don't know. See, I mean, that was a player that we were talking about round two, round three. He's still there, so there's a fan favorite. I know Daz Newsom didn't test well at wide receiver, but the Bills did their due diligence on him. Met with him a few times on Zoom. Went to his pro day. Uh, he's a day three type of player at wide receiver that they might kind of bring in here. So. There's players across the board that I think could be intriguing for the Bills, uh, but they're they're not going to sit here and say, we have to get a cornerback. We have to get a wide receiver or a tight end. They're staying true to their board. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, you know what they're probably looking at. A couple players that I think could be interesting at cornerback. I like uh, Robert Rochelle as a day three mm-hmm. guy out of Central Arkansas. I think that he, you know he might be somebody that, they like as well. I think I, I it might have been cover one or somebody 
Uh, he had a round. He has a round three grade according to Lanzer line. Uh, probably goes sometime on in, in the fourth round. So we'll see if he gets there. Maybe if the Bills see a guy like him that they like, they might be willing to trade up. Then also Kerry Vincent from LSU, I think is a. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's character concerns or injury concerns. Um, I think he missed most of this last season, or I don't know if he opted out or if it was injuries. But I was I saw on one big board that he was like the second or third ranked cornerback on this guy's big board. Mm -hmm. And it was eye popping to me because I it was that wasn't common in, in for most of them. So that's another name to keep an eye on. And then the big guys in the middle, Bobby Brown, um, cool name, Bobby Brown the third, uh, and he over at Texas A and M, three twenty one six four space eater, Tyler Shelvin. Obviously, Bills Mafia loves them. Some Tyler Shelvin, uh, he's could be on play too. And another guy, go back to you know the pro day interviews, Dylan Moses. I think the Bills could be really interested in maybe if he falls to them in the fifth round, uh, former projected day one pick probably uh, before some injury issues, the linebacker from Alabama. So uh, a lot of names that to consider. Yeah. Uh, uh, one technique, Tonga is his name, and I yes. had him in my last mic. He's, yep. he's going to be there. Jacoby Stevens, uh, someone that the Bills have shown interest in out of LSU is still around. So there are names to be had, and I believe that Rochelle that you mentioned, I believe his skill set is almost perfect for zone defense is what I read on a lot of the uh, scouting reports, and obviously the Bills run a lot of zones, so he could end up being a great asset there too. So uh, a lot of talent still to be had. Kevin Masari has has jokes. That's right, he does. Kevin, Kevin, get out of here with your jokes. Uh, I, I I still have issues with your original big board putting Quiddy Pay at three or four. Um, nonsense, nonsense. But I went on the Trainwreck Sports uh, the other day, and that that drives me nuts when people go on other people's posts when they're like giving like rankings or something like that, and just start publicly just you know sifting through them. And Kevin's like, "Oh no, just bring it on. I want I want that." And I'm like, "You do want that." But I, and I, I can't say a bad word about Kevin Masari because he put me on to uh, Yummy Thai in Kenmore, which is bomb. As my wife says, bomb.com, and uh, you should go check <laughs> it out. All right, that's going to do it. We've gone for almost an hour. Day two of the draft is in the books. It's going to be fun to see what the Bills can do tomorrow if they maybe get back up into the fourth round. Uh, for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Head over to Syracuse.com. In the morning, everything will be up over there. I'll have my uh, five thoughts and a grade on both of these picks today. We'll have some other, uh, we'll have some more fun content tomorrow, some stuff from Brandon Bean. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Four more picks to go. Have a great night, everybody.